Good morning, good morning. How is everyone? Well, it looks like you guys are going to need a new building already, and you just started, so that's good news. Yeah, God's moving and poured it down. Uh, we've been enjoying all the delicacies of Northern Ireland. Fantastic. Maybe a little Guinness, some Irish ballads the other night by Dixie. Is that okay that we drank a Guinness? All right. Um, had some fun. Went up to the North Coast, and um, <clears throat> I'm still trying to bless Adam. His lifelong dream was to see a misty coast. We pulled over the hill. There was nothing there. Absolutely nothing. We saw nothing. <laughs> and um, and uh, Rick kept saying, I promise it's beautiful. I promise it's beautiful. And um, and so, yeah, we didn't see your North Coast, but it was it was great. I've been before, and it is absolutely delightful. Um, we're still a little jealous of how beautiful your nation is. I hope you know that. We come all the way from Kansas City, right in the middle of America. Um, I lead a church called Nava. That's the Hebrew word for home. We believe that's what Jesus did for us, brought us home, and he's making us beautiful. Um, I brought my friend Adam here. Um, he is quite possibly one of the most energetic and enthusiastic human beings ever created. Um, he used to have the face of a Lurgan spade. I had to weave that in somehow. I just, I think that's the best saying in human history. Um, but now he certainly doesn't. He's an ex- joy bomb of exploding grace, and uh, it's just fun. He encountered Jesus radically five years ago. The love of God came in on him. He was in drugs and alcohol and just wasting his life, and Jesus came in, and we've been walking together. And this guy's just, if you see him bouncing around like Tigger, it's, uh, it's Jesus, not just American enthusiasm. We're not all like that. Uh, contrary to popular Hollywood belief. Um, Well, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, This really is family for me. My heart this morning is just to encourage you. I had a message planned, and uh, Jesus uh, gave me a new scripture yesterday, so I only started this morning. So you have him to blame if it doesn't go well. Um, I don't know if there's any other control freaks in here, but I'm slightly one sometimes. And when Jesus changes it last minute, you're just like, ah, right? Um, But we're going to trust for his grace. I encountered Jesus when I was 17, and uh, I was a broken kid. Uh, I was suicidal, and I remember the words Jesus spoke to me. I'll never forget him. He said, you've tasted the world's heart. Taste the world's heart. You've tasted the world's love, and it broke your heart. And now you're going to taste my love, and I'm never going to leave you. And uh, my biggest fear in life was public speaking. And uh, so here we go. I'm still always working through that. And I know that every time I share, it's the grace of God. Uh, I don't know if you've seen God meet you in one of your biggest fears, but you know it's him. So we just welcome you this morning into Porta Down, Jesus. We're thankful that you're here. We want your presence more than anything else. I thank you for the beauty of this family that's growing, a family of reconciliation. And I pray today you'd put yourself on display. Amen. We're going to kind of uh, roll through Romans 12 here this morning, so if you want to turn open to that, um, we'll be mostly in verse 9 through 21. Um, And I want to kind of unfold it slowly in a prayerful type way and let us kind of respond. Um, You feel free to be interactive with me. It helps me. Um, Please don't give me the Lurgan Spade face all morning. I'll just be more scared of you, um, even though we're family. Um, But yeah, we want to just roll through this space and do a little bit of interaction and and just be free to see what the Lord's going to do with us this morning. Um, Romans 12 starts off very powerfully in view of God's mercy. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. 
I don't know about you, but everything changed when I met Jesus. I absolutely adore Jesus. He gave me everything I didn't deserve, and he didn't give me everything that I deserve. Paul here is proclaiming right into the heart of the Roman Empire. He's writing the book of Romans, and he spends the first 11 chapters, as the cleaning man goes by, he spends the first 11 chapters absolutely washing us with Jesus' mercy, that there's this king who became what we were never able to become. He became one of us, and he lived the life we weren't able to live, and he died in our place, and he took all of our sin upon himself. And in exchange, he gave us sonship. He gave us the love of the Father. He gave us an inheritance we could never earn. He gave us everything in himself. He defeated death on our behalf, and mercy is now what we get. And so Paul basically in response to that says, what else can we do as the church but lay our lives down as a living sacrifice to give it back to the one who loved us the most? And so we're here this morning to simply say, we want to give our lives back to you. I think this message would be something like six characteristics of the church conformed to Jesus. Six characteristics of the church conformed to Jesus. What would it look like for the Porta Down family of God to reflect and put Jesus on display in the middle of all the pain and brokenness of this community? What would that look like for us to be so conformed to the image of Jesus, so consumed by who Jesus is that we actually become like him, that we put him on display in our everyday lives, not just in our church gatherings, but wherever we go, in our mundane lives, in our workplaces, in our families, that we're putting the the greatness of Jesus on display. He begins to call us higher. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. There's a greater conforming. And he he talked about it in Romans 8. We can look like Jesus, smell like Jesus, talk like Jesus. We can be so consumed with Jesus as a people that everything we do starts to reflect him together as a people, as a family. He says that we're one body One family. We all have gifts, but together we present Jesus as a body. The church of Porta Down conformed to Jesus. What would that look like? Here's just some of the marks of it. And we just kind of want to walk through verses 9. We'll start there. And uh, I want to marvel at him again. Just, Just remember who he is in our lives and what this might look like put on display here in this community. Uh, verse 9 says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. The first mark is sincere love. Sincere love. That word sincere, it means without masks. What would it look like to live in the mess of just being ourselves, of actually daring to show who we really are, both the the beautiful sides and the messy sides. Uh, Recently, my wife and I, we uh, came upstairs to the screams of my girls, and it was quite a moment. Um, When we rounded the corner, we saw something we never dreamed or imagined of seeing. And uh, it was my daughter, and there was, she's five, and there was poop everywhere. It was like a poo storm 
hit the bathroom. I mean, there was poo on the ground and on the bathtub and on the door. There was poo everywhere. She's five. And we then saw something even more remarkable than poo everywhere. We saw her skating across the poo, back and forth. And I didn't know what to do, so I just took a picture. She wasn't embarrassed at all. She was poo skating. And I realized, what if the church could be like that? You know, our biggest mess, and we just turn it into a poo skate rink. You know, just, that's what sincere love looks like. Like, you know what? We're a mess. Let's just skate on it. Like, let's just embrace it. Let's welcome people into it. She didn't know or have enough shame on her life yet to realize she shouldn't be skating in the poo. And I'm not saying you need to actually skate in your own poo. Please don't get me wrong here and pour it down today. But there's something about sincere love where we can be with one another even in that mess, right? Right in the middle of that. There's that word honor one another. Honor means to treat someone in accordance with their worth. How much are you worth? If I was to give you a blank check this morning, you know, I don't know if you do checks anymore. We don't do them much in America, but there's in that, there's that blank spot, you know, and I was to give it to you this morning and say, okay, fill it in. I'll pay for whatever you're worth. I'll give you that amount of money. What would you write in? I remember saying this in a small group one time and all the Christianese kind of had gone away and there was a moment of truth in this girl. She just sat there and tears started coming down her face and she said, I, I don't know how much I'm worth. And together we all filled in that blank spot and we wrote G-O-D. You are worth God. If you don't believe sitting in the chair today that you're worth God, I want to invite you to the good news. That is the gospel. That God, how much is God worth? I mean, isn't that what the angels are crying out right now as I talk in this silly microphone? They're crying out, worthy, worthy, worthy. Why? Because God defines worth. Everything finds its worth in light of God. God is worth everything. And God decided to give his life on the cross for you, saying, everything that I'm worth, you're now worth. If God's worth everything and you're worth God, and honor means to treat you like, the, in accordance with your worth, how must I treat you? How, how do I have to think about you and look at you and talk about you? Can you imagine poured it down, treating one another as though they were worth God? You know, it's not just the Christian that's worth God. Every single human being, no matter how broken or vile or damaging or violent, is worth what? It's worth God. This is love sincere. Jesus said, you're worth it. I love you so much. I'm devoted to you at the expense of my own life, even in your mess. What would, a, what would this Emmanuel church look like? Brimming over with sincere love. Every other mark I'm about to talk about can be folded up into this. Sincere love, without masks, vulnerable Who's skating in the glory of God? Yeah? I didn't get a laugh the second time. You're all shocked. Let's just wait for a second. If you're saying, I want to be conformed to Jesus in this way, just pray that out. Whether it's brotherly love, 
whether it's this idea of honor, to see someone in the image of God, I want to just wait for a second to let you respond to Jesus, because this isn't about me speaking. This is about the God who's loved you with no masks, who's given himself for you this morning. So let's just wait for a second. If you want to be marked by the very sincere love of Jesus, just in your heart, pray this with me. Holy Spirit, mark us today that we can have sincere love just like Jesus. Conform us to the likeness of Jesus in this way. Amen. We're going to do that rhythm. So as you listen, the Holy Spirit might touch your heart with something. And every opportunity is not an opportunity for you to crank it up in your own strength, but to allow Jesus to live through you in a way that isn't possible on our own. The second mark is generous hospitality. Oh, sorry. It's spiritual fervor and full of zeal. If you look at um, verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This is what spiritual fervor and fullness of of zeal looks like. We see in Jesus, we see that his life was hard. It was definitely not easy. He was constantly insulted. He was continually challenged by the religious leaders. He faced deep pain, the rejection of his entire community. As he said, he was his father's son. His entire community tried to throw him off a cliff. I mean, I've definitely never had it that bad. Page after page, Jesus had a hard time. And what you see him doing in response to that is not stirring up his own zeal, but doing exactly what we need to do. Jesus daily and moment by moment exposed his human heart to this fiery, loving heart of his Father. He allowed the living living rivers of water to flow up out of his heart. Day after day, he was faithful in prayer in the midst of afflictions and disappointments and discouragements. I don't know about you, but these things can hit super deep. And when they do, they take the wind out of you. In the last five years, uh, my wife and I have walked through her living in constant chronic pain every day, just sucking the life out of her. And I've watched her in the middle of this place over and over go back to the Father and let the love of the Father meet her heart. I've watched when she felt she had this dry well Come back to the living waters and say, all right, again, would you fill me with joy that I don't have in myself? Would you give me strength that I don't know in myself? What does joyful hope look like? It looks like when your heart is sick because the thing you've wanted or desired or had expectation for has turned to total disappointment. It's gone the other way. One of the marks of Jesus, though, is spiritual fervor in the midst of disappointment. 
zeal and fullness right there in the midst of affliction. It looks like learning the way of Jesus, that if we will come faithful in prayer day after day, and what does that look like? Not just a quiet time. It just looks like my heart's open to you. Father, my heart's open to you again. Here I am again. Do you remember the moment when Jesus' best friend, his cousin John the Baptist, died? I mean, it was a deep moment of disappointment and sadness. And it says that Jesus, in that moment, pulled away with his friends into a solitary place. And it said he began to open his heart to the Father again. Right there in the midst of affliction, in the midst of disappointment. I see a church in Porta Down that is on fire with spiritual fervor. But that does not look like everything's going well. In fact, this says that spiritual fervor looks like exposing, giving your heart back to the Father in the midst of disappointment. I don't know if you're living in disappointment this morning or you've been going through some hard place, but Jesus gets it. He understands. I watched uh, a family in our midst lose their, their baby boy this summer. Katie and Jason Egley, and eight days in, we had prayed, and he breathed on his own in a miracle, and then he, he died in their arms. And I remember them saying, we're so proud of you, baby Benjamin. We're so proud of you. And they began in the middle of that to grieve, but they did not grieve as those without hope. I watched as they opened their pain to the whole community and let people in. Then I watched as they chose to worship God's goodness right there in the middle of it, I'm telling you, a year later, I'm watching the overflow of joy and hope that is radically touching person after person after person after person. That is what not surface zeal looks like, but that is the zeal rooted out of suffering. What if there was a church here marked by that, hey? Let's just wait for a second just in that place. If there's something in that, just as we close our eyes, that you want to respond to, Maybe you're going through disappointment or affliction. Just invite the Holy Spirit in your own way to say, I want spiritual fervor and zeal in my life again. I've gone cold. But I believe that in the midst of this, you can bring my heart back to life again. Right here in the midst of affliction, in the place of disappointment, we open our heart to hope. We give you our lives again as a living sacrifice. Make us like Jesus and Emmanuel. Mark us with spiritual fervor that the world will watch us live on fire in our greatest places of pain. In our deepest places of disappointment, we're asking that you would mark this church with zeal that is rooted in joy and suffering. Release hope here. We want to look like Jesus in this way. Amen. Generous hospitality is number three. This is beautiful. Share with God's people who are in need. 
Practice hospitality. I love this moment. We're talking about the wheelchair, that the people of God are coming together to provide a need. We've been stunned in Northern Ireland. I don't even think you guys understand how hospitable you are. Every time we, we compliment you, by the, by the way, it's like, oh, no, 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 we're terrible. Da, da, da. <laughs> I mean, one of the biggest corrections I could bring here is receive a compliment. For goodness sake, you're really amazing. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you are genuinely a loving, sacrificial, and hospitable people. Sometimes we don't know our own culture until we get out of it. And I think you're so immersed in hospitality that you don't even understand how much of Jesus you're carrying as a people. And I love it because Jesus loves to take what you have and give more to the one who has. And I feel like you've only seen the beginning of radical hospitality and generosity. You're a people who wants to meet needs. You want to share with those who are in need. You want to be generous and you want to be hospitable. That word hospitable is so much more radical than just, hey, you have access to my milk and my butter and my food. It actually is the word that combines two words, uh, philo, love, and xenos, which is stranger or enemy. Hospitality is the biblical word that actually means the welcome of the one who wants to kill me. To, To welcome someone who is the outsider. What if Emmanuel Portadown loved people who do not belong? And they loved them like they belong until they belong. What if you loved people who do not belong? Maybe he, who even despise you right now. What if you loved them like they belong until they belong? I see a people of radical and beautiful hospitality and generosity. Of course, this is Jesus. This is the one who looked at the crowds and had compassion and he wanted to feed them. This is the one whose heart was broken open. He said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. How do I share my life with them? No greater love than this than someone lay down their life for a friend. And then Jesus takes it so much further and says, you know, anybody can love a friend. What about the person who doesn't love you? I think this is a church of reconciliation, and we're going to get to that at the very end. But driving through your community, you can feel the entrenched division. But what if hospitality was so radical that you began to move into places where you weren't welcomed? That you begin to open your home to people who were historically divided or hated you. I know that's who you are. That's what you're already doing. We've heard stories of Shelly in North Lurgan who's opening her life, who's feeding people who need food, who's praying over people. This is who you are as Emmanuel. But I see that the what you have is about to multiply. And the Lord's saying, will you allow me to stretch your lives? Love makes room. It is generous and it is hospitable. Love for the stranger. Weren't we all outsiders? And there was one who was inside the circle who came into the war zone of our life and he allowed his flesh to be ripped open on a cross so that every one of us could come home. We were all had declared enemies of him. This is our king. What more should mark the church than generous hospitality? 
I've watched this in our community as one of our families, their three-year-old daughter, uh, she had a tumor in her lung and it collapsed and she was at the brink of death. And I, I watched as people began to give thousands of dollars to cover medical bills. As they set up meal rotas to, to cover all their meals so they could only focus on their daughter. I watched as they came hour by hour and they began to pray. And God did a miracle of healing in this little girl's life. And she's cancer free. Praise God, right? We have a miraculous God. But the greater miracle was watching the love of God and generous hospitality, meeting needs, and welcoming people. It's incredible. Jesus was interruptible. I think the greatest hospitality we can show is our presence. It's one thing to give things. But don't you love how interruptible Jesus was? He's on his way. He wants a drink, and he's interrupted by a woman in need. He opens up his need. She opens up her heart, and then an entire city opens up to Jesus. He was interruptible when he was on the way somewhere. I mean, this is one of the most difficult things that we have to deal with in our busy Western lives, to be interruptible. That is a mark of Jesus. That is hospitality, to actually sit and listen to somebody instead of going on. So I'm just going to welcome a space where Jesus can mark us in this way. Just begin to welcome him in, in your own life in this way. If something I've said has met your heart You can't do it on your own, but Jesus wants to mark us with generous hospitality in a radical way. Just begin to welcome him in your own heart, in your own words. We offer our lives as a living sacrifice again. Jesus, live through us your love for our enemies. Live through us the interruptible life of being present to people. Mark us here in Emmanuel with generous hospitality in a profound way. We want to be generous with our time and our gifts and our money We want to be generous, Lord, with our homes. We don't want our possessions to possess us. We want to share them for your purposes. Conform us to the image of Jesus. Amen. This morning is a buffet. Take what you like. Don't be overwhelmed. I'm I'm sharing a lot, but it's just this rundown. I remember when I was 18 and I I read it the first time and my heart was on fire thinking, there's no way I can ever be these things. And he said, if you'll just welcome me, you get them all. You won't know. Just one day you'll be going about your business and find out you were way more generous than you ever could have been in yourself because you welcomed Jesus. You were way more hospitable than you thought you could be because you love Jesus. He's making us like him, isn't he? He's marking us. The next one is rejoicing and mourning. It says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. This is Jesus with the disciples when they came back with the report. Jesus is jumping around, worshiping God, rejoicing over them. And then you'll find him with Mary, whose brother had died, weeping with her. Can you imagine what Jesus sees every day? He sees a million marriages. He sees a million deaths. 
Jesus sees wars, and he sees five-year-old birthday parties. Jesus sees breakthroughs, and he sees breakdowns. Can you imagine being God? Well, in some way, we have to do that in a limited expression as the body of Christ. If somebody's rejoicing, we need to be celebrating with them. And simultaneously, if someone's breaking down and weeping, we enter into that pain because it's just not right. I remember this profound moment. We were sitting at a campfire at a retreat. There was three or four couples sitting there. And um, it was a phenomenal moment of vulnerability. There's something about a fire where everyone stares at a fire and they don't have to look at each other. And God knew when he made it, it was just going to draw the stuff, especially out of men. You know, tears start coming. It's like the only place we'll cry is around a campfire. But I remember these couples sitting there, and one couple decided it was their moment for their big announcement. So they said, we've been waiting, and we've not told anyone, not even our family, but we wanted to share with, like, our, our church family. We're pregnant. And they had been in a huge struggle, and people had been praying. And people legitimately start leaping around, embracing them, dancing. I mean, as only that kind of miracle can bring. And we calmed down after 15, 20 minutes, and we were sitting there. And I saw, kind of to my right, I saw one of the women, she started to cry. And I, I thought, wow, this is, what is going on here? And she said, well, we haven't shared this with anyone, but last week, we just miscarried our child. And, and in that same moment, I watched the same people who had just been jumping begin to cry with them. And I thought, isn't that the vulnerability we're looking for? In fact, I think we can probably only rejoice as a church to the extent that we're willing to enter into the pain of other people. And so can you imagine what this city could see in the church of people that knew how to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping? I mean, dear Finn has just been born, a sturdy lad. Takes after his father. And everyone's rejoicing, and then, and then Zachariah's born, and, and they're there weeping with them for three months. I mean, this is the kind of church that you are. But the world doesn't see this. They only see when we celebrate successes. We don't know how to mourn. We don't know how to sit in the tension. But oh, that we could be marked with this kind of reality. And, and there's something particular that I've seen. It's especially sacred to God when we rejoice with someone in the very place where we're barren. I've watched my wife pray for people. They've gotten healed. And I've watched her rejoice in the very prayer that's been unanswered in her life. Can you imagine the Father's heart? Something explosive when we can rejoice in the very place that we are barren. The very place we've yet to have breakthrough. Someone else gets the promotion at work we were wanting. And we rejoice in them and celebrate their success. Doesn't this sound like the kingdom of God? So let's pray for just a second. If anything in that has touched your heart, just begin to invite the Holy Spirit to do something radical in you.
we welcome you, Jesus, into this place. We present our lives as a living sacrifice again. This is our worship. We're asking that you would mark us with the likeness of Jesus, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice, especially in the places we've yet to see breakthrough. We can imagine a joyful church that is exploding with celebration over one another. We pray that the the laughter, the joy would be greater in the church than it is at the pub. That, that, That you would release celebration out of the church. And also we pray for the depth of compassion that suffers with and long and perseveres, that weeps. Release the tears of Jesus in this place. Amen. The next mark is harmony through humility. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. This is, and do not be conceited. This is one of my favorite marks of Jesus, harmony through humility. Jesus created harmony with people who were in all kinds of different places in life. You found him labeled the drunkard and the glutton. You have to do a lot of partying. I mean, I've yet to be labeled that. Jesus, the party animal. The master of the pub, you know, he's the, he's the one who is there celebrating, rejoicing, eating, drinking with those who the religious leaders said you should not be hanging out with them. They're not of our class. Can you see a church that does not see people according to their socioeconomic status in the community, but begins to, to be with all people, to welcome everyone to the table? I think that's the kind of the people that you are. I've already witnessed that. But anybody from the streets, welcome. Anybody from any place gets the same feast, the same enjoyment. This is Jesus. This is what marks his life at the deepest level. I think it's incredible because often when we hang out with people from, in quotation, low position, we find out that they're closer to the kingdom than we are. Because Jesus said in order to, 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 to be a leader, you have to go low. That's why he said, I came to serve. So what we find out when we hang out with those who are on the margins, who have been left out of society, is we find out they know Jesus often much better than us. I live in a neighborhood where there's tons of poverty, and I've been privileged with inherited wealth, I come out of a, of a wealthy background, and the Father's called me to live amongst those who have been overlooked in society. And, and I've had to deal with so much pride in that, so much conceit, so much judgment. But what I begin to find is as I hang out with my neighbors, they're the ones who teach me about the kingdom of heaven, for real. I was hanging out with my friend Monroe the other day. Monroe grew up in, grew up in the drug cartel just at the border of Mexico, running drugs for his parents his entire life. He started to go blind at an early age. He's only got 10% of his sight left in one eye. The other eye is a glass eye. Because he's on disability, he's left out of the world system. He only gets $700 a month to live on. Thankfully, he found a job. Many aren't able to find it with those disabilities. And they pay him only $12 an hour. But I was hanging out with Monroe in my neighborhood. And Monroe said, hey, can I teach you about how to love our neighbors? He starts instructing me on what our neighborhood's like 
and how to love people and how to treat them and how to see them. Here's a, a blind man left out of society teaching me about how to see and how to love. And he lays his hand on me and he begins to pray that I would be so effing consumed with love. That's how he prays. That I would never judge another person. And I'm sitting there bawling my eyes out. And he looks at me and goes, you're the first person I prayed for in six years. And I'm like, you have just shaken me to the core. They're the ones, they're the keys to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces. Is anybody welcome in Emmanuel? I believe they are. But oh, that we would be marked without conceit and bring harmony to a, a people and pour it down. So let's just wait for a second if the Lord's touching your heart with that. Welcome Jesus who is with those of low position. Jesus, you're doing something radical in this neighborhood. And we're asking that this would be a people marked by the servant king. That everyone is welcome at this church. And not only at the church, but the church of our homes. The church where we live. They're welcome in our presence. We pray that you would do such a work of humility that the very ones who have been left out would lead us into the kingdom of heaven. Flip it all around here. Conform us to your likeness, Jesus. The last one I'm not going to spend much time on, but it is rich and it is deep. Number six is overcome with good. Bless those who persecute you. Do not repay evil with evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Bless, help, and love your enemy. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As they're nailing him to a cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There is going to be a gasp of deliverance from bitterness in this community. And the way that it is going to come is through a people who uses the great F word, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Not just reconciliation, but forgiveness. I see a movement of forgiveness in this community. And the way that it is going to happen is through putting your lives on display. How will they know to forgive unless you forgive? The deep, entrenched bitterness of violence and anger over generations, I believe that the reason the Lord has put you in Porta Down is to release forgiveness here in Craig Gavin and in Lurgan. I believe there's going to be a whole a movement of forgiveness that sweeps down through. You are a reconciling people. There is going to be like a gasp of letting out and letting go all of the entrenched bitterness. And a new generation is going to be marked with this word to forgive. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You are going to overcome evil with good. You are not going to be overcome with evil. Evil is not as entrenched as we think it is. The power of the kingdom runs deeper and forgiveness breaks every yoke just like that. Even as I say it, it seems impossible. But Jesus came into a world to actually free us from bitterness. And he is the God of forgiveness. I wonder what could happen through a, even a seed of forgiveness.
in this community. So let's just close our eyes to end this. Living sacrifice, no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, with sincere love, with spiritual fervor, with generous hospitality, learning to rejoice and to mourn, creating harmony through humility and overcoming evil with good through a movement of forgiveness. We're asking that you would mark Emmanuel by the power of the Holy Spirit with Jesus. No longer conform to the pattern of this very community, but conform to Jesus in such a way that a movement of Jesus-likeness bursts out of here. Just as eyes are closed this morning, you may be saying, this is all a fairy tale. There's no way I can ever become this. If there's anyone here who says, I, I don't know if this is real or right, and I've never followed Jesus. I've lived for myself all my life. There's a scripture that says, he gave his life up for you, that you would no longer live for yourself, but live for the one who loved you and died for you. If you look and say, I'm not sure I've given my life to Jesus here today, but I would like to do that because I want to live like this. Just wherever you are, will you just put your hand up if you have never given your life to Jesus, but you say, I want Jesus to live through me today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? And I want to pray for you in a moment. Every eye is closed. Keep your hand up if you would. I want you to just pray with me. If there's anyone else, there's one, I see you. If there's anybody else who just says, I want to live that story I want Jesus to live in me this morning. If there's anybody else, thank you. So for these who just pray after me a simple prayer, we're going to say to Jesus, Jesus, today, I confess to you that I don't want to live on my own anymore. Thank you that you're the one who came and died for me. And today I give you my life. It feels like a mess, but it's now your mess. Clean it up. And today, Jesus, I receive the love that you have for me. And thank you that you died for me and I'm forgiven. And thank you that I'm now free of bitterness. And thank you that I'm now a part of your family forever. Today I say yes to following you with all my life, no longer living for myself, but you living this radical life through me. Today, I'm a part of your family. If you've prayed that prayer, would you just stand so we can welcome you into the family of God and celebrate you this morning? Yeah, would you be able to do that, Brave? Let's welcome these guys into the family of Jesus. You are so brave. Let's all stand with them because we're their family. This morning, two have entered the kingdom of heaven forever. But Jesus is asking for an entire family to be marked with this. And so all together, we say, Jesus, mark us with your likeness. Conform us to your likeness. Because we want to put you on display for the world to see.
We want to be a family that resembles Jesus. And so just put your hands out for just a moment, if you would. Holy Spirit, I ask now for your power. I ask you to release your power. A church conformed to Christ. A church conformed to Christ. A countercultural movement of real disciples brimming with love. A church conformed to Christ. And as, he says, as you just simply say yes to me, I am going to do all the rest of what we talked about this morning. As you simply say yes, I'm going to do miracles. I'm going to make of you what you never dreamed of. And I'm going to live through you a story that isn't possible for you to live. I bless you today. Thank you for allowing me to share the good news of Jesus with you. And I celebrate with you all that the Lord is about to do in Porta Down and Beyond. And let's just give God a huge round of applause today. We love you, God.